Okay, now we're on. Let's go. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to India Game Changer. Today we are joined by Anil Kumar, the founder and the CEO at Samunati. I cannot thank you enough for doing the show today. How are you, by the way? Wonderful to be uh, on the show as well, Michael. Uh, thanks for uh, getting me here. I'm doing great. How are you? I am super duper. I really am. Thank you so much for asking. Before we get to the central part of this conversation, can our listeners get a little bit of your background and understand how we got to here? Great. I'm a debit credit man. Spent about uh, 32 years of my 50 years so far uh, in debit credit space. I'm a banker by profession. Started my career with uh, a government bank. Uh, then moved to a private sector bank uh, in 1996, then became a social entrepreneur uh, in 2007, and a full-fledged entrepreneur, I would say, in 2014. That has been my journey, but the best part of uh, these 32 years, Michael, have been that uh, 27 years of that have been in the rural and uh, agri segments. So I have seen both rural and agri from very close quarters of understanding the flow of goods and cash, understanding the dynamics of how people manage their finances, yep. um, understand uh, the dimension of uh, how resilient the rural communities are in spite of the exclusion that uh, uh, they go through from formal financial institutions. So can we just back up a little bit? I want to understand what gets you so interested in this sector of the economy, right? If I, and if I look at statistics and tell me where I have this wrong, right? The agriculture is about 15 point something percent of the Indian economy. It's a higher than it is even in places like China where it's almost 8%. What is it about that sector of the economy that got you so interested and keeps you so interested? Well, uh, it's it's little more than that. Uh, we all expect, uh, you know, ag agriculture to contribute about twenty percent of our uh, five trillion dollar uh, GDP that we are all uh, working towards. Yep. And agriculture alone at the current CAGR would be a trillion dollar. So it, it's 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 massive. Massive. What made me interested in this space are uh, three four things. One. 50 to 60% of India's households are, you know, are, are dependent on agriculture. 80% wow. of that are smallholder farmers, yeah. are people having fragmented land holding. And uh, there is a huge uh, uh, exclusion in terms of their access to all the possible support services that are required, whether it is finance, whether it is markets, whether it is information, whether it is you know, whether it is advisory services, you know, they are at the receiving end of all, all uh, challenges for them to be able to access markets. And it is integral to in, integral to a human existence, you know, agriculture as a sector. So I have not had the privilege of being a farmer myself. My father was also a banker and hence he did not have the privilege. Uh, on, on a lighter note, Perhaps I would have been a cow or a buffalo or a goat in my previous life. You know that 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 would have created the interest. But but I am blessed to have spent 27 years of my life with these communities in these geographies. So I I, I know their daily life as if my own life. You mentioned social entrepreneurship. I don't want to go all the way back to that, but it just triggered something in my mind. Right, I have a lot of conversations on another one of my shows that I call Impact at Scale about supply chains and value chains. We talk about this a lot and how at the beginning, it always seems to me that one of the problems that social entrepreneurs and frankly that entrepreneurs are trying to solve is that 
a lot of the value at the beginning of the value chain seems to get extracted only at the end of it. Does this make sense? In other words, you have somebody growing cotton, they don't make any money, but then Calvin Klein sells a t-shirt made of cotton for 150 bucks. Can I just understand what is it about the beginning of that value chain? Is it the fragmentation and the lack of representation? What makes it so that there's little, even though there's a ton of value that is there, but doesn't get, it doesn't reside there? Right, right. No, no, thanks for asking that question because that is the root of, you know, whatever interventions that are required to, to keep the farmer at the focus. So let's let's understand, you know, the, the agri-ecosystem from, from the dimension of this particular question, Michael, right? You you have a smallholder farmer who is owning less than less than two hectares of land. Okay. Now, because the land holding is so small and the and, and it is fragmented, the only constituent of the input supply chain that they can go to to buy their requirements for cultivation is the retail most part of the input value chain where there is a manufacturer dealer distributor retailer and the farmer because he wants or she needs to buy inputs in smaller quantities yep. will end up going to the retail most part which has all the margins loaded onto that product so they are basically buying inputs retail which means most expensive yeah then what happens after cultivation? Because there are so many challenges and requirements on the liquidity that they would they are about to get. Two, their ability to access larger markets would entail two things. One, threshold volume to take it to the larger market. Yep. Two, the cost of transportation, because the threshold volume needs to be at least a truckload and I may not have a truckload. And then how can I aggregate to take it uh, to, to the larger market? And larger markets usually also don't have storage facilities, which means it's a one-way traffic. Once I go to the larger market, then I have to sell come what the price may. Right. Uh, I, I cannot postpone that nor go to another market. So they usually end up selling soon after harvest, which means sell wholesale. So I, I think the farmer is one constituent who buys retail expensive, sells wholesale without any realization, even without primary grading and sorting, because there is no incentive to do that, is where the margins are shrinking. One of the ways to make this particular equation change is by leveraging the power of aggregation. Yeah. Instead of one farmer coming together, what if 100 farmers come together? What if 500 farmers come together? And then the retail most part of the input value chain naturally does not have the capability to cater to the aggregated demand of these 500 farmers. Naturally, they go towards the wholesale part of the input value chain, and hence their cost of you know purchase comes down, which means the cost of your cultivation, the cost of inputs comes down. Because you are also aggregating the produce, you have the ability to basically defray the costs associated with either holding or going to larger markets or you know the logistics in terms of transportation, it gets defrayed. And hence, you would have a little bit of a delta. So that's what Samunati is also looking at doing, where we have this structure called AMLA, Aggregation, Market Linkage, and Advisory Services, which also is, is an example of Indian gooseberry, by the way. <laughs> really? AMLA I presume that's a little bit on purpose. Indian gooseberry. Yeah. It's an acronym for Aggregation, Market Linkage, and Advisory Sorry, I just want to ask, like, how do you affect it, though, right? Because this is a really, it's not just complicated, it's complex. Anywhere where there's a supply chain right. and you need even just, like, cold storage or even just cold transport, 
there's going to be there's going to be big challenges here. Let's say there are 500 farmers here and then 500 farmers there and stuff like that. Is there a way to create? And again, talk me through the Samanati platform, right? How do you create this tech platform that allows these farmers to work in aggregate, to share data in aggregate, to share insurance and all the things that need to be aggregated from beginning to end? How do, and, and how do they even find out that this platform exists, right? Because building it is one thing, but having them use it's another thing. How does all that work? The simple answer for that is we require the likes of Zubin Mehta's in agriculture. You need orchestrators. <laughs> Zubin right? Mehta, I like it. Go ahead. So, so the, the, the dimension of agri-ecosystem, if you see, while we talk about the smallholder farmer having fragmented land holding, the agri-ecosystem itself is fragmented. Yeah. You take inputs as one dimension of agri-ecosystem. Then you have post-harvest, which is output. Then you have banking and financial services providing the services to the, you know, to, to the farming community. Then you have research institutions working towards providing advisory services, so on and so forth. Each of them in itself or in themselves are sectors. Now you take inputs again, you double click on that, Michael. Inputs again are further segmented into seeds, crop protection chemicals, and farm equipment. Right. Now you double click on seeds, then you have genetically modified, hybrid, open pollinated, right, and native seeds. You double click on farm equipment on the other side, you have minor farm equipment and large farm equipments like tractor and you know harvesters. Each of them, again, have further manufacturers. So they all look towards going to the farmer in their own distribution networks, either dedicated distribution networks that, that some of them can afford to, or through a multi-product distribution network that most of them access to, where they have this dealer, distributor, retailer who are multi-brand. Because they are multi-brand, there is all multi-brand, there is always a dimension of selling the product that gives them the maximum margin. Right. Not necessarily the one that is most effective. Right. right? Now, coming back, when the market is fragmented and looking at accessing the customer, and the customer is fragmented, not having the capability to access the market is where you require digital connectors, where you require someone to harmonize this journey between both the legs of the value chain. Is where, where I say Ezubin Mehta is required. Someone who can orchestrate, you know, demand and supply through a digital connector, right? Aggregate on both sides and make it in a way where this journey is harmonized. And is that what Samanati is doing? That is what Samanati is working towards doing. So we work with about 150 startups in the agri-ecosystem. We are co-lending partners for banks now. We work with large commodity procurers in the country. We also are engaging with input manufacturers. All of them are coming to us because on our FPO gateway, the platform, we have 5,000 FPOs today. So for people that don't know, you're talking about farmer-produced organizations, yeah? Right. These are farmer collectives. Collectives. Keep that as easier yep. one. These are collectives, right? Not all of them have borrowed. Not all of them have market linkages. But all of them are on our gateway, which means if there is a particular product that needs to be not, that that needs to be demonstrated as a possibility, or that needs to be announced, or you know, our, our awareness to be built, or there is a campaign for that, this entire network is available for constituents of the agri ecosystem. Right. I'm curious how advanced or how sophisticated the typical, and I know it's hard to generalize, right? But the typical smallholder farmer is when it comes to managing their finances. And to further that, if they're not as literate as they might be, 
what do companies like Samanadi, but also part some of your startup partners do to fix the financial literacy and then give them the tools to manage their finances as well through technology? I must confess that in the 27 years that I have spent my time with them, they are more sophisticated than you and me, Michael. In yeah, terms that, of that's me. what I want to know. Go ahead. They are. They are. They are so scientific and rational in managing their finances because the vulnerability that they have, if they have made or if they make a wrong decision is significantly higher. It could be fatal. I mean, it's just so, it's so... One, one wrong decision could push them back to poverty. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that, that is what the beauty of finance is. And, and, and way back during my training days, I, I was taught as to how finance for low-income households is fundamentally critical because unlike any other consumer product, you know, you, you and I use shampoo, you and I use, uh, uh, use, use any other FMCG product, it does not differentiate between Michael and Daniel. It does what it does. Whereas a low-income household making a $100 investment decision to a high-net-worth individual making a $100 investment, for the high-net-worth individual, it could be a rounding off error, but for this, this would be a life-changing investment. Yeah. Same $100, same finance has a significantly different business and hence are significantly different impact and hence their ability to manage the finances is significantly more scientific. What they lack is the product structures that the formal financial institutions have that are designed not keeping the low-income households or farmers' requirement in view, but keeping the provider, product providers' convenience in view. For example, a savings bank account is, is, is designed for a, a average customer right. in, in a financial institution, right? Not designed for smaller deposits. Take take crop loan as an example, right? When, when a crop loan is designed, it is for the entire duration of the crop, which means from a cash flow perspective, the investment happens, you know, in smaller chunks. You know, you invest, 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 harvest, and get the money back. Right, hopefully, yeah. Right? Hence, the disbursement structure should have been disburse, 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 and then recover later. Right. Whereas the product structure, more often than not, is disburse in bulk, expect the repayment in bulk. Right. And the farmer is supposed to keep the money aside and keep using it. Now, what happens in such scenario when you have demands for liquidity, whether it is a medical emergency or whether it's a school fee or what have you, you dip into this corpus because money is fungible. And that would result into two possible outcomes. One is that you compromise on one or two steps of your cultivation, which has an impact on the final productivity, or you end up borrowing from high cost sources which also changes the economics of the outcome in terms of the you know bank. Now, now these products are not structured. You know that, that's that's the beauty of one one seminal work that you know we had the fortune of uh, going through by Jonathan Marduk and others, which is portfolios of the poor, where you know these smallholder farmers are in that context. They say the, the poor, uh, economically poor, uh, low-income households have is one, they, their incomes are small, the flows are volatile and unpredictable, yeah. 
there are no formal financial institute institutions offering products that suit one and two and hence they are exposed to triple whammy so it's not about financial literacy that is required it is about product customization that is required because they know what to do they know you know how to use the money can we work with them to design products and solutions to be able to make them do that so the the you know my initial response is to think at least from a financial solutions problem a financial products issue right here is why not just create a bank or a bunch of regional banks that just serve these regional farmers right the smallholder farmers Part of the problem here for me, though, is that it's highly concentrated risk, and it's just really bad from a differentiation standpoint. We don't have to spend a lot of time talking about what happens to a bank when it's only there for one particular purpose, and then people lose trust in it. We've seen this happen before. But how do you convince, because there are two, two at least two issues here. One is, how do you convince existing institutions to change the product mix so that the disbursement matches the, you know, the liabilities as well? but also, or the need for the money, but also how do you use technology to connect these fragmented farmers to the institutions so that then they can get the data to do the credit analysis to enable the lending? Wonderful question. Now, there are two dimensions of engaging with, with the business aspect of diversification. I completely agree with you that a bank, any business for that matter, any yeah. lending business for that matter needs to be diversified. Yep. Even if you are working with a single client segment, you have to be diversified geographically. Exactly. In agriculture, you have to be diversified from the dimension of crops that right. you take exposure for. So granted that concentration risk is, is, is something that lending institutions should not take. Right. That does not preclude us from customizing the products in a way where the risks get mitigated. Exactly. So the problem of bullet disbursement is not from a from a risk perspective of whether I can give money or not, but it is from the perspective of what if it doesn't get used for the purpose for which it is being given. Right. So as a lender, I would certainly want the end use to be what I I have lent the money for. Right. So it is in my interest as a lender to make sure that the amounts go in smaller chunks, which takes you know. Take, takes the dimension of using technology. Now you said, you know, what is the dimension of technology here? What am I basically, you know, ensuring as a lender? One is the end-use monitoring. Second one is a, you know, risk mitigation where the activity for which money has been given is resulting into the income that the money has to be has to generate because from that income is where my repayment is going to come. In other words, if you go back to the philosophy of risk management, Michael, for all lending institutions, the philosophy has to be rather than focusing on the risk mitigation of my portfolio and trying to protect myself from my borrowers, it has to be the philosophy has to be, can I understand the risks of my borrowers, mitigate them at his or her level, right. and hence my money is safe and hence my risk, risk mitigation happens. Right? Yeah. Sorry to brag, but this is where Samunath is multiple interventions come from where from a lending institution we also got market linkages entity right. separate in addition to market linkages we have a we have a you know foundation which does the capacity building. but we'll come to that later all that i'm saying is we are not compromising on the risk mitigation uh, needs of a lending institution it's about how and 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 can it be aligned it's a really interesting answer right because if the whole idea here is from the beginning, 
is to strengthen the businesses of the smallholder farmers to take the disaggregation and find a way to aggregate it in a way that takes some of the power, frankly, away from the end of the value chain and back to the beginning of the value chain. And if finance is one of the ways to do this by ensuring that the money that a smallholder farmer needs is received, but also received in a way that is effective for them, then, yeah, you have to do all of these things. So we said at the beginning of this conversation that it's really complex. Here, here's an interesting question. It's a little bit controversial, actually. You know, digital money allows you to program it. You can only use it for one thing or two things or whatever you program it to do. Is there a digital money solution here to part of this problem so that when you give a disbursement to somebody for a specific use case that they can only use it you know, within its either seeds or this, that, or whatever, and then here's some money for insurance as well. Do you know what I mean? Is, is that a solution or is that just a, a solution looking for a problem? And, and, and emphatic, yes, as a solution. And, and very, very coincidentally, you know, the government of India and our regulator, RBI, has, has introduced the digital currency dimension. Go right? ahead. Where, a couple of months ago, where... In relation to agriculture, based on my understanding, in relation to agriculture, there is a possibility of creating a limit where the end use of that limit to the extent of a small portion can be used for specific purpose in specific locations. Right. For example, if the cost of cultivation is, say, you know, $300, as an example, of that $60 will have to go to the inputs this particular intervention can help us earmark the $60 for inputs and then let that money be used only in an input shop for that intended usage. For that purpose. While recognizing the fact that the farming households would also need liquidity for their day-to-day -day consumption, maybe 300 can become 500 where the other 200 can get used in a hospital or you know a, 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 kirana, a grocery store or other places where that liquidity is issued so that you know there are multiple multiple pockets of limits and this becomes a mother limit yeah. and sub limits. So you are bang on. I worry about it a little bit. I mean, I like to talk about it because I think there's a philosophical argument to, to be made here for how much control do we want people to have over the way we can spend the money that we do receive. And on the other side is how much protection do we want to have for that money not being used for for the means that it was not intended, right? There's got to be a balance somewhere there. And technology can do this, but it's like, how do you decide where that gets decided? Sorry, go ahead. So if the starting point for this is that, you know, we are rational people engaging with rational people. Yep. Then most of the product structuring will fall in place where the incentives are aligned in a symbiotic way. Yeah. If the starting point is, I'm taking a paternalistic approach and I tell you what to do, then it is difficult. Yep. Or I take a view that, I am monitoring you. I'm I'm the hawk, right? right? I'm monitoring you. So you have to start with a fundamental belief that you know we are human beings. We, we we you know we are rational people and we respect each other, independent of the economic scale that we are in. That should be the starting point. Is there part of the the platform, part of the Samanati platform? Is there data aggregation and data gathering that's going on as well, right? You said you have 5,000 of these FPOs or 5,000 farmers, which which is the right number? 5,000 FPOs, which right, is that's a lot of farms. Based of about six to eight million smallholder farms. Yeah, that's a lot of farms. Okay, that's what I wanted to confirm. That's a lot of people on the platform. 
you know, one of the, and I'm just trying to make equivalencies here, right, for some of the other things that I've seen. So Bukakas is a company in Indonesia that basically started giving away free accounting software to warungs and small kind of mom and pop shops there. Part of the reason why they did this, obviously, was to get people on the platform. You don't seem to have this as an issue at all. But by doing that, then they were allowed, they were able to gather all of this data. They were trying to solve some of the same problems for MSMEs in Indonesia that you're trying to solve for smallholder farmers, right? Again, fragmented into aggregation into a little bit of more power at that part of the value chain. Do you have partners that supply this kind of financial services software to them so then you can aggregate this and then really understand, right, a way to help them do data analysis at scale and understand what they should plant, when they should plant it, what type of insurance they should have, all of these things that can help them be even more sophisticated using technology than what they're using right now. Well, at, at, at this point in time, our engagement is with the FPOs. And the data that we collect from the FPOs is limited to the data required for us to engage with them. Okay. The rest of the data is theirs, number one. Number two, we don't collect the member data. Member data actually belongs to the FPO, not to us. Right, okay. And we do have an intervention where we provide the you know ERP slash business management services to the FPO for their requirements. In other words, we digitize their operations, but that data belongs to them. It not belong to us. Okay. I mean, it feels like there's an opportunity there to aggregate all this data, right? And and there are some interventions that you know few entities in India are looking at where they are looking at building a completely digital agri stack. And we are involved in a couple of such initiatives. Okay. I'm just running through my head and trying to figure out, right? I mean, I'm not a smallholder farmer. And to be fair, I don't have any friends that are either. But I'm just trying to figure out overall, like, what are the things that they need, you know, from the core to, like, the most sophisticated stuff that they need across the board so that they can make their businesses more profitable and, frankly, easier to do. So what does that look like? If, if you take the smallholder farmer, again, thanks for asking that question because that's a frame that we look at a smallholder farmer, you know, let, let, let's take a framework that, that we internally engage with. Go ahead. Uh, the framework inspired by Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maslow, okay. Okay, so all of us know, you know, the five-step pyramid where you have physiological and then you are done with that, then you get into basically and then love and belonging, then egocentric and self-actualization, higher order need becoming relevant when the lower order is need is met. Right. If you take that framework for a smallholder farmer, the physiological need is access to finance. Because a significant portion of the smallholder farmers are outside the formal financial institutions. Right. And access to finance is a physiological need. That is the first leg. Right. This Once you have access to finance, the second requirement or second need would be access to customized finance. Because access to finance is not same as access to the business activity that I am in, in the context of the farmer, because a paddy growing farmer needs money for three to four months. A sugarcane farmer would require money for one year. Right. A you know a mango orchard farmer may need the money for five years, whereas a turmeric farmer may require money for six months. Right. Now, how do I get as a farmer money that is customized to my crop is the second need. Once you have that, the Third order need or the third need is access to markets. Hey, now that I have access to customized finance, can you help me provide access to better markets? Or can you help me sell when it is better to sell? Yeah. Which 
market linkages right e even postponing the sale for few weeks soon after harvest has an uptick on the realization because soon after harvest are when the prices are the lowest right can you provide me market linkages right then the next higher order of need after the market linkages is advisory services you know some of the niche farmers would want to get into precision farming or greenhouse farming or uh, you know shade net farming or high value crops like horticulture right because now the farming is not subsistence farming the farming now is you know high value farming yeah mushrooms hand holding to be able to do that yep and the self actualization would be from a small holder perspective if any of these four the first four steps fail for whatever reason do i have a safety net so that my fall is not debilitating and that's where the guarantees would come into picture safety nets right now if you see all the interventions of the policy makers and the government given the humongous need on on the, on the you know on the uh, requirement has been on this physiological need right we nationalized our private sector banks in in 1960s and 70s okay. then brought in the cooperative banks and regional rural banks as a country then you know we brought in uh, the priority sector requirements for banks in india where part of their lending has to necessarily go to the specified segments then microfinancing as a sector and all of these interventions have resulted in a humongous amounts of financial inclusion they have done a fantastic job that's great right to 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 an extent where i i i would hardly find any indian farmer today who does not have a bank account wow fantastic and and some of these bank accounts have had significant average balances it's not that somebody has just opened the account and, and, yeah. and have kept and that is also of course resulting into direct benefit transfers flowing from the government to the farmer directly into their bank account so on the digital you know uh, way this country has made significant progress now the other higher order of needs are to be made by the farmer at this point in time you know access to customized finance then market linkages and so on and so this this is where you know some of us as private sector players have to pitch in now if you take the market led approach it starts with the safety net if for example there is a large procurement entity which is procuring high quality wheat as an example they have to make sure that there is adequate sowing that has happened for this quality of wheat make sure that adequate training is given for people to take care of the crop so that part of that harvest is procured by them right in other words they would want to have a safety net for them and then they do the interventions from that dimension and somewhere from the safety net and from the bottom of the pyramid you know we need to bring in a dimension of again harmon harmonizing the journey yeah is what samunathis finance and commerce and 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 advisory services and foundation comes into picture so we need to understand this this framework to look at what a farmer would want in an aggregated manner michael interesting interesting if you have a diagram of that i'd love to post it because we can post it right next to maslow's hierarchy as well which is an interesting way to look at this right because people understand that and the needs that it uh, precipitates it would be great if we had a diagram to show for for that as well so we can have the the equivalency yeah i will send it back plus that would be super you mentioned earlier the foundation what role does the foundation play in all of these things that that you're trying to accomplish so we all know that the farmer collectives present a significant opportunity and they have potential yes but now it's like we are because we are talking of agriculture it's like a seed we all know that seed has a significant potential right 
But first, before sowing the seed, you have to prepare the soil. Right. Sow it, water it, protect it when it germinates, and let it grow. That's exactly what foundation does. We know that these entities have the potential because a large number of farmer collectives are young, nascent, vulnerable. Right. Only a handful of them are matured and big. Okay. Now, for us, because this is the primary client segment that we, you know, we engage with, for us to grow, by the way, the name Sam Unnati is collective growth, collective prosperity and collective elevation. Thank you. So for us to collectively grow, we need to nurture these entities from their institution capabilities, right? We need to build their governance structure. We need to build their competence of the senior management. We need to build their operations capability. We need to bring audit and risk framework. And then we need to bring the dimension of gender in their, you know, in their engagement. And most importantly, we also build the dimension of the member loyalty because the strength of a collective is the loyalty between their members and themselves. Right. They have to get because along. Member owned, member operated. Right. So foundation does all these activities of training, institution capability building, awareness building, as well as, as well as, uh, you know, giving them frameworks and, uh, you know, training and, 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 and uh, handholding. Got it. And you've been doing this. When was Samanati founded, by the way? Was it 2000 and... It was founded in 2014. 14. Yeah. And uh, we started lending on our own in 2016. Oh, wow. The market linkages entity came in 2017. Foundation came in 2019. So when you look back at 2014 and look at where you are today, I'll let you go after this. But I'm just curious, like... You know, for anybody who's starting a business or an operation, they always think it's going to look like X. And at the end of the day, it ends up looking like Y, right? Because until you start doing it, you don't really know what you're right. going to build. You think you do, but you don't. I know that for myself, for sure. Right. What's the biggest difference between what you thought you were going to build and what you actually did build or what's running right now? I, I, I must confess that this has been like peeling off an onion one layer at a time. <laughs> for sure. But for sure. <laughs> I had no clue or we had no clue that this is what we would be reaching in this number of years. Right. When we started, all that we had was, you know, a, a dream to make markets work for smallholder farmers. But from a very, very operating level, we said we will build customized financial products to lend to this segment. That's yeah. how we start. Right. But then lending led to the market linkages and then, you know, so on and so forth. And, and the way we got into our value chains and expansion as well. So we started with dairy as a value chain. And then we realized that inputs are animal feed, 60% to, you know, 70% of the cost of rearing an animal is feeding it. Right. And, and uh, when we looked at the, you know, input, sorry, uh, animal feed value chain is where we understood that the basic inputs, the basic raw materials are maize and soya. Then we got into maize as a value chain and soya as a value chain. Then we realized that animal feed manufacturing industry is common for bovine animals, poultry and fishery. Right. Everything, basically. Then we got into poultry and fishery. <laughs> Right now, from maize, we understood that maize is also a raw material for many other commodities, not just animal feed. It goes into starch industry and then and, and, and you know glucose industry. So we got into maize as a value chain. Soya is soya oil and soya de-oiled cake. It's actually the de-oiled cake that goes into the animal feed manufacturing. So soya oil is you know is is uh, an edible you know product. 
so our journey has been you know one one thing at a time and one step at a time including the farmer collectives you know when we started michael we did we we started with opening branches and engaging with individual aggregators right only when we looked at other you know states which have farmer collectives where the same activity of an aggregator are being done by the collective is when we realize the power of collectives which is much larger than individual is how we got into the collectives and then we said we will not open branches because the the, the requirement is humongously large and a linear model would not work for a non linear one and this 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 enhancement of our business model happened within 6 months of raising my first external money i love it Hello. So with my first investor, I I very hesitatingly, uh, you know, took an appointment saying, "Hey, can I come and see you? There is something that I need. I I would like to share with you." And 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 they gave me two hours, and I went and you know, you know what? We need to change our model. And then I was very gradually telling them, and finally said, "We need to work with the uh, farmer collectives." They said, "We have been waiting for someone to come and say this to us because we have spent significant amount of time in understanding who will take care of the farmer collectives. More strength to you. Tell what else can we do together?" Exactly. That does two things. One, the choice of investors for an early stage investor is so fundamentally critical. It is. You need to get someone who understands the ground reality than someone who does not. This particular investor of mine, Elevar, had spent significant of time in the field that they knew what I was talking. I would I would love to tell more of these stories, right? So I want to let you go because this has been an insanely great conversation for me and I've learned a lot, but I want people that work with you whether it's through the foundation or through the collectives or that lend to these people. If you can find any of them, you don't have to tell me who they are now. To also come on to talk about this so we can get a different perspective on what it looks like for them, from either from the other side or from the same side but just from a different viewpoint. Is that okay? Oh yes, surely. Awesome. We will we'll work on that. Okay. I will thank you Anil Kumar, the founder and CEO at Samanati. Thank you so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Has has been my privilege talking 